my wife and I were drawn to you because we liked the idea of putting money down, qualifying, making sure we can cover the mortgage, you know, and have reserves. Like you were talking a language that was very appealing <laughs> based on what we had gone through before. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1198, 1198. Thanks for joining me today. We want to talk about income tax. Now, <laughs> I thought I heard everything, folks. I've been around for quite a while. Lots of experience in this business. And I remember many years ago when I uh, came into my accountant's office in Irvine, California, and I uh, brought him a, uh, what was it, a video? I think it was a videotape. Yes, that's how long ago it was. For those of you not familiar, we used to have video on tape. Okay. Anyway, I brought him, I think, a videotape of a tax scheme saying that uh, taxes were illegal and unconstitutional and the government had no right to tax people. You could simply tell them you don't want to pay and get out of it. But then he told me, you know, Jason, people that do that usually end up at Hotel Gray Bar. Yeah, that would be known as jail, and uh, that's no fun. So <laughs> today, I thought I heard everything, but I haven't heard this one. This is a different methodology for not paying taxes, and our guest today intrigued me. If, if for nothing else other than curiosity, I would say do not try this without getting good professional advice, and this show is not good professional advice, <laughs> at least not in the tax realm. So we're going to sort of entertain this a little bit. It is a pretty interesting theory. I'll, I'll give her that. You know, you may want to reach out to her and, and hear more about it and see what it's all about. I mean, she claims that she has been filing tax returns for five years, paying zero income tax, even after reporting income. It's pretty intriguing. So we decided to air it here. You can be the judge. And hey, I would love to get your feedback. Go to jasonhartman.com slash ask and give us feedback on this. You can say something like, Jason, are you crazy? Are you running a conspiracy interview here or something? Uh, or you can say, wow, this is brilliant. No taxes. Sounds like it's going to work to me. And I'm getting good, solid professional advice from a reputable CPA or accounting firm. And I'm uh, moving forward. Let us know about your adventure. And if you do end up in jail, hey, we might come and visit you. Or at least we'll send you a card. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Enough of that. Adam's with me for the intro portion. Adam, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. If you do get thrown in jail, we'll play the clip where we say we are not tax professionals. No, no, we're very unprofessional when it comes to taxes. So there's, there's our disclaimer. Do not 
take our word for it and do not take our guesswork for it. Get more advice, get a second opinion or a third and a fourth opinion even because uh, this one is, um, I don't know. Hey, maybe she's right. I don't know. You know, listen, I don't do this. I pay taxes. I just wrote a giant check to the good old IRS and uh, I've been doing that for many years, paying them giant checks. My strategy is at least live in a no-income tax state, but you still got to pay good old Uncle Sam. Or maybe you don't. You'll see. You'll see. What's up, Adam? All right, so we got a listener question here from Mason. And Mason wants to know if you are a member of a local real estate investor association and what your thoughts are on those organizations. You know, that is a loaded question because I don't know how you define local real estate investor association. I can tell you that there are at least two kinds that I could sort of speak to. One would be the RIA clubs, the, you know, real estate investor association, R-E-I-A. And all of these are different. They have them in many areas around the country. There's even a national association, but they're pretty hokey mostly. I have spoken at several of them over the years myself as a speaker, and we actually loaned our meeting room out when we had a big meeting room in one of our offices in uh, Orange County, California. We loaned it out to a RIA club just thinking, hey, you know, if these guys come in here on the you know, the first Wednesday of the month or whenever they came in to have their meeting and they let me get up and say hi to all the investors, you know, maybe we'll get some business out of it too. And we just kind of loaned the room out to them. And I tell you, the stuff I saw, Adam, was, well, it was pretty hokey. Basically, they have a flavor of the month, a, a sort of different hokey speaker come in every month. Most of them are hokey. They're not all hokey, but a lot of them are. They'll come in pitching some program, some info product, some coaching program, something like that. And basically, just so you know, they usually do sort of the stereotypical deal is that they give the RIA organizer, the one who hosts the monthly meetings, half of the proceeds of whatever they sell. So if they're selling a $1,500 program, info product, uh, whatever it is, or a $10,000 coaching program or, you know, whatever the heck they're selling. I don't know. You know, there's everything under the sun, right? They'll typically give the host of the meeting half of the revenue. So do the math, right? If they've got a $1,500 product and there's 40 people in the room and they sell 10, they sell 25% of the room, that's $15,000. The host of your RIA group will get $7,500 and the speaker will get $7,500. Usually it's just this flavor of the month stuff, no consistent philosophy, no consistent methodology. We are better. We are better. Okay. Did you get my subliminal message there? We are better. <laughs> now there's another kind of club that is a little more reputable, but a little less racy and a little less sexy, I'd say, right? And that's like an apartment owners association. And these are mostly sort of old, stodgy organizations, but they're at least like a little more legit, a little less salesy, where you'll pay something like a whopping 40 bucks a year to be a member, and they'll publish a newsletter or a magazine, they'll send it to you every month or every quarter, 
and they all have some meetings from time to time. And at those kind of associations, you'll see uh, vendors that uh, sell tenant screening services and eviction services and plumbing services and HVA services and carpeting and painting and whatever else, right? And that's sort of the what we'll call the meat and potatoes business versus the RIA club is kind of a get-rich-quick scheme. So uh, those are sort of the two different types of, I guess, local investor associations. But let the buyer beware. You know, one thing I have found is if it's too good to be true, uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it is, as the old saying goes. Really, just don't let yourself be susceptible to uh, someone else's plan. Have your own plan. And your own plan should be to do the simple, proven thing of simply buying rental properties, holding them and managing them, and making a great return on investment. That is the proven thing. Every other thing that these snake oil salesmen <laughs> uh, offer is, you know, it occasionally works for a few people. And they got a couple examples. I know they do. They always do. But by and large, people waste their money on that stuff. Adam, you have any thoughts on that? No, I can't say I've been to any of the meetings, so I can't say I have many thoughts on it. But I would say maybe if you were going there for networking and just to get a feel and to meet like-minded people, it could be helpful. But other than that, I, I don't really know much about it. Yeah, you're going to meet at those events. And, I, you know, I've been to several of them. You're going to meet a lot of sort of get-rich-quick people, these people that are they're really dreamers. And, you know, listen, I don't criticize dreamers, okay, because I was a dreamer too once, okay, everybody starts out as a dreamer. And um, they're sort of, you know, most of them are going to be investors, and they're not really going to do anything. And, and I'd say the biggest downfall of these groups is that it's like the flavor of the month type thing, right, where the first month you go, it's, oh, you've got to go do uh, probate sales and see if you can get properties from probate attorneys and, you know, run around like a chicken with your head cut off and uh, get that one lucky needle in a haystack deal. And then the next month, it's going to be, oh, well, you should buy notes and trustees and buy them at a discount and trade those or hold them for the yield. And then the month after that, it's going to be, oh, lease options are the big thing. You got to do lease options and can get rich doing that. And and then the month after that, it's going to be the cheap little crappy houses that never really work out in real life like they look on paper. And then the month after that, it's going to be, oh, wholesaling. That's the deal. And, you know, folks, look at <laughs> what works is to just buy some properties, go to jasonhartman.com, we'd prefer if you buy them there, and hold them and learn how to manage them well and make money over time. You'll be surprised how quickly it works. It, you know, in a few years, you can really change your life. I have to agree with you, Jason. It's only been a couple of years for myself and my wife, and it's definitely started changing our life. Good to hear. Well, hey, let's get to our guest today and hear about this tax scheme. And uh, hey, I'd love to hear your feedback. JasonArtman.com slash ask. Let us know what you think. You ready, Adam? Let's do it. I don't want to pay taxes. It's my pleasure to welcome Kelly Alexander to the show. She has a, uh, a very unique idea. I thought I've heard everything over the years. I've interviewed many libertarian thinkers and uh, 
people who claim to have a way to pay zero taxes. Well, this one I have not heard before, uh, so uh, let's talk about it today. Kelly is the founder of American Tax Remedy. She is not a CPA, uh, not I guess not a tax expert, just a, a layperson who came across this uh, idea and researched it and chased it down. And well, she'll tell you more about it today. Kelly, welcome. How are you? I'm just great. Thank you so much for having me today. Good to have you on the show. So uh, is it really possible to pay no income taxes without going to jail? Yes, yes, and yes. And you've, are, you've been doing this for since 2014, I believe you said, right? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. I waited a few years before I realized, gee whiz, you know, when I learned it, I guided people to where I learned it to many, many people, not a single one followed through and did it. So I realized there was a need for someone like me to guide and handhold people through that process. Okay. And because I had done so much legal research, I was more comfortable with the subject matter than most people that just hear something like this and go, well, that just can't possibly be true. Right, right. Well, I must admit, I'm skeptical. Of course, I and everybody listening would love to not have to pay income tax. So just to give people a little teaser, and we'll dive into the details, but your method involves, uh, you say, go ahead and file a tax return, show the government that you've made money, but... When you deposit checks that you receive as income, you endorse them uh, under your method in a special way that converts them instead instead of two dollars, which are Federal Reserve notes, to what kind of notes? United States notes. United States notes. And you say that United States notes are tax exempt. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. And... Um, how, so we'll dive into the details in a few minutes here, but tell us how you came upon this and how, how, how it all evolved. Well, just real quick, when I was 16 and got my first job at a fast food restaurant and filled out a W-4, it says on there, if you did not pay federal taxes for all of your income for last year and you expect that you will not owe any taxes federal income taxes for the upcoming year, then you may put exempt for federal withholdings. And I saw that at age 16, and I thought, they're telling us there's a way to be exempt. And it just was like the, the grain of sand and the oyster that I lived with for 30 some years before I actually dove into the subject and started learning. Okay. Back in the um, early 2000s, I started trading stocks and options on the stock market. And through that process, I became more aware of the Federal Reserve and how it worked. And I began to have questions about the Federal Reserve, and that led me into researching it and how it's not actually a federal agency. It's a privately held corporation. Um, my, my listeners know all about that stuff. Okay. We've discussed that ad nauseum. Okay. You know, we've had G. Edward Griffin on okay. the show many times and many yes. other uh, thought leaders on the, the scam yes. known as central banking. So we don't need to probably dive into that too much. But okay. what came next? Uh, the Federal Reserve issue is not really related to this other than just understanding that a dollar is a Federal Reserve note. It's very related to okay. this. Okay, all right. This method is the solution to what G. Edward Griffin put in his book so beautifully. He exposes the challenges and the issues that the Federal Reserve raises. 
the process that I teach is the solution for us as the individual people of the country. All right. So what happened? How did you discover this, uh, this specific thing? I'm not talking about general Federal Reserve conspiracy theories, all this kind of stuff, which is certainly interesting. And I, I love it. But <laughs> yes, but this specific technique, I started going to groups that were learning about different types of commercial remedy. And then I learned about banking law. Banking law is in Title 12 of the United States Codes. And there is a statute in there, subsection 411, that says Federal Reserve notes shall be redeemed in lawful money at the U.S. Treasury or at any Federal Reserve Bank. And then from there, I found very few, but there are few people that know of this method that I learned from also. And I started testing it and doing things with my employer and my bank and figuring it all out in the nuts and bolts form. So was there a book, a speaker, something you saw that gave you the specific information of how to do this? It wasn't a book, was not a speaker. I found some information online and I pieced together, you know, a bunch of just, just different things that all kind of little by little by little unfolded it. All right. Pretty much you're saying that you're the creator of this idea, right? I wouldn't say that I'm the creator. I discovered it. Okay. But And so few people know about it that I feel like do, I want to do, get the word out. Do you know anybody share. else who's doing this? Yes, I do. Okay. Who, yes. who else is doing it? There's a group of people in out of Colorado. They now have a website called Lawful Money Trust. Mm -hmm. They've been doing it since the early 2000s successfully. Okay. That gentleman was a law student and is now an attorney. So his background is different than mine in that area. Okay. What's his name, by the way? I'm just his curious. His name is D David Merrill. David Merrill. Okay. With Lawful Money Trust, right? And that's yes. And he's got a group of people that are doing this technique, too. Yes. Do you know how long he's been doing it? Since the early 2000s. Okay. So he's not in jail yet, right? <laughs> okay. Nope. All right. Nope. Tell us the technique specifically. It, it sounds like what you do is when you receive a check as income. By the way, what, what do you do for a living? Is this, this is what you do, or do you have another job or business? I've had a 25-year career in the fashion industry, actually, and I do work related to that while I build up this business. Okay. So, so are, do you, are you basically doing freelance work in the fashion industry then? And then you're getting checks that way? Because I want to follow the path. Yes. Currently, I have an actual W-2 job. Mm -hmm. And so I receive a paycheck. Okay. And so now that's the point. When you get your paycheck, and by the way, where are you located? I'm in Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Okay. When you get your paycheck from your day job, if you will, and you're a W-2 employee, what do you do? Okay. In my case, I receive my paycheck through direct deposit. Okay. Which, which doesn't very... allow you to endorse it. And that's kind of the technique you talked about. Right. However... Most businesses pay their employees with direct deposit these days. So sure. much money is moving around electronically. Yep. So there is a form called a direct deposit authorization. Okay. And that gets filled out prior or as soon as you become an employee. And there is an authorization on there that you sign that substitutes for your endorsement. Okay. So on that paperwork, you notate that you're redeeming for lawful money pursuant to Title 12, subsection 411. So in other words, you fill out this direct deposit form, and above your signature, you write in this verbiage that you just said. You're, say yes. it again? What is the verbiage? 
redeemed for lawful money pursuant to Title 12 USC 411. Okay, so Title 12 U.S. Code, I guess, right? Yes, U.S. Code. 411. Isn't it funny that it's 411, like information, the old number for information? Okay. Yeah, that's a coincidence. All right. So this code we'll talk about in a moment. So when those checks go into your bank, do you bank at a big normal bank, like, uh, you know, one of the big banks? Or? Yeah, I bank at Chase. Okay, all right. So uh, the, you bank at the criminal organization known as J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> Just got to throw that in there. They were yeah. at the center of the robo-signing scandal, illegally foreclosed on lots of people's homes. Yeah. But, you know, all these big banks are so crooked. Uh, Wells yeah. Fargo being the leader of the crooks now. But, you know, it changes. Sometimes well, uh, they change you hands, know, you know. They bat the ball around. Yeah, yeah they, they, they bat the ball around. That's a good way to put it. Okay, so you bank at Chase, big, huge bank, right? This money goes into your account. Then what happens? So that verbiage on the endorsement signals to the bank that they cannot treat this the same way that they treat Federal Reserve notes because you've made this conversion or redemption or exchange. They cannot fractionally lend against the money that you deposit. Well, they must hate that. I'm surprised they haven't uh, kicked you out. They don't like it. However, Tile 12, 411 says they shall be redeemed, which means it is not maybe or when we feel like it or it shall is mandatory in legal terminology. Okay, so the bank has to like earmark your direct deposits from your employer. Right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, how do you pay your bills? I mean, because you're the same way. Your your account is in dollars, right? Your checking account, right? So right. I, don't I pay my it. bills exactly the same way. The same way everybody else does, or the same way you use this? What is it called? U.S. notes. United States notes. Okay. It has not changed the way that I pay my bills. However anybody pays their bills, they can continue paying them the same way. With good old-fashioned checks or online bill pay or wire transfer or whatever, right? ACH? Correct. Yeah, okay. Correct. The important transaction is when the money enters your bank account. Okay. That's the point of redemption. Do you go to the ATM and withdraw uh, Federal Reserve notes, otherwise known as dollars? A person can, but if you've deposited the money in, then they come out as what you put them in. They look very similar to Federal Reserve notes. However, back in 1971, the U.S. Treasury put out a statement saying that Federal Reserve notes serve the purpose of both currencies, so they were not, they stopped at that point in time issuing physical United States notes. Okay. There's 300 million of them in circulation, and that comes from Title 31, subsection 5115. And it talks about how they're issued and who issues them. And there's no more than 300 million currently in circulation. That's, they cannot be held th as reserve. Are, are they, when you say there's 300 million, do they have the same value as a dollar? They have the exact same dollar as That's a not reserve. very much. Just 300 million. One wealthy person could gobble up the entire supply, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, at this point in time, there is so little demand for United States notes because people do not know that they're available for use. You know, my hope is that in time when people learn about this, there will be greater demand and that will be revised upwards. Okay. Yes, it's, it's, it's like a dollar a person for the national population. But yeah, basically, basically. Okay, yeah. so 
you've got this money in your account. It's earmarked as U.S. notes. You pay your bills normally with Federal Reserve notes, otherwise known as common dollars. If you withdraw cash, do you get it in dollars? I kind of asked you that, but I don't know yes, if you really answered. Yes, you still will physically receive Federal Reserve notes. What dollars, makes the, a.k.a. Dollars. dollars. Okay, got it. Yes. All right. What makes what? Is the way the what money goes in, you said? Is the way the money goes in and that you have documented your election of which currency you're using. Okay. And you file a tax return every year, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, tell us what your tax return says or what it looks like. What do you do there? You have to do something special, right? Yes. There's an area where after I put in my you know, W-2 income and, you know, various things. There's a place to say redeemed for lawful money, 12 USC 411, and the amount of my income that I have redeemed. So in other words, if you make $100,000, you could redeem, in quotes, 80000 of it in federal or in U.S. notes, right? Correct, correct. And 20000 in Federal Reserve notes, a.k.a. dollars. Sure. So, and then you would pay tax only on the 20000 Correct. The Federal Reserve notes. Okay, but with you, you just take 100% of it in U.S. notes, right? Yes. What section is this on, on your tax return? It's a, is it a 1040 long form you're filing? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And what, what section? What line? I mean, it's one of the lines, right? Or, it just changed. Or is it, or is it a new schedule or, or something? Or? It's not on a schedule. It's it's on the one of the front pages. They changed the the 1040 this last year with all the rev- revisions to the tax code. Uh, so I believe it was used to be line 21 and now it's line six. I'd have to verify that. But I want to look for one of my tax returns while I'm talking to you so I can look at that myself. Uh, okay, okay, interesting. You're not operating as a corporate entity or an LLC or anything like that, right? You're just operating as an individual with a social security number? Yes, at this time, that's true. Although I will probably set it up as an LLC in time. Why would you do that? Do you need to or does it matter? That's exactly the question that I have. And I'm still doing some exploration to make a final decision on what the best way to handle it is. So is it this simple or is there more to it, Kelly? I know. Um, You basically are in the business of helping people do this under what entity? What's what's your business name? U.S. Tax Remedy? The Great American Tax Remedy. Great American Tax Remedy. So, I mean, can someone just listen to this episode and start doing this? And uh, you've been, you started in 2000, your tax year 2014, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah, the process itself is very simple. It's mind-blowingly simple. The understanding of all the background takes a little more education and guidance, and I have a presentation that I share with clients, and I review with them, and, you know, to help them develop confidence and understanding of how it all fits together and why it all fits together. So that part is a little more involved, but the process itself is remarkably simple. And what I haven't shared with you is when a person redeems their Federal Reserve money for United States notes, that causes the Federal Reserve to surrender an equal amount of that, whatever that redemption value is, of the bonds that they hold as collateral from the U.S. Treasury. They have to surrender those back to the Treasury, which means the national debt is lowered. 
So let's say over the course of a year, you've redeemed $100,000. The Federal Reserve takes $100,000 of bond and basically tears it up or gives it back to the Treasury and our U.S. national debt drops by $100,000. Okay, I found a tax return. So on the 1040 tax return, you talked about, I believe, line six and line 21. Was that correct? Yes, okay. line, line six for the current filing, which was uh, so, 2018. Yeah, got it. So this happens to be a 2017 return. Um, so that would be line 21. Yeah, okay. So just so you know, line 6 is exemptions, right? 6A is yourself, 6B is your spouse, and then C is dependents. You can put down your kids. But on line 21, it says other income. Correct. Okay. What, is, okay. what do you do there? I basically just put in that I've redeemed... And I put in a negative number of my other income because the other income is tax exempt. So you're basically taking the U.S. notes as a tax deduction, in essence, a loss, yes. right? Yes. So in that example I gave earlier, if you make $100,000 in income, they're going to send a, a W-4 or 1099 to the IRS, right, or W-2. I don't know. I get those two mixed up. Anyway, whatever. They're going to tell the IRS you made $100,000. Mm -hmm. So that's what the IRS will see in their computer. And then you're going to give the IRS a tax return and says, yeah, that's true. I made $100,000, but I redeemed 80000 of them for U.S. notes, and that's a legitimate deduction. So I only pay tax on 20000 in income. That's how it works? That's how it works. Okay, wow. And you're doing this with all of your income. So if you make $100,000 at your, at your job, you're saying you redeemed 100000 in U.S. notes, so you have zero income, according to the IRS. I have zero taxable income. Taxable income, fair. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, right, uh, okay. And the first year you filed a tax return like this is 2014, right? Correct. Okay, so... 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. Did you file your 2018 return yet? Yes. Wow. So five years of tax returns. Yes. Have you been audited? No. Wow. That's amazing. Are you concerned about being audited? I wish they would. So that I could. <laughs> you you no, want I proof of concept is what you want, it, right? It would be, yes, yeah. yes. What I didn't share. You can certainly invite them to audit you if you do something really cagey. Other, well, this seems really cagey to me, but <laughs> I told you I'm skeptical. Um, I understand. Okay. And that's um, healthy to be skeptical okay. because it requires understanding it well enough that you see the whole picture. And this is another one of those things, dear listeners, that I would love to be wrong about. I hope I'm wrong and Kelly is right because, <laughs> hey, my next call after this is to my CPA. I'm going to ask him and he's going to go, you're nuts. I'm well, not filing your return if you know. put that okay. on there. So yeah. let me address the CPAs. They are extremely educated and capable and smart people that do their best to keep you out of trouble with the IRS. However, because this remedy comes from banking law, it is outside the scope of the actual tax codes, which means it's outside the scope of a CPA's or a tax attorney's area of expertise. When you bring something like this to them, they're going to be unfamiliar with it. And when people are unfamiliar with something, they're naturally negative on it. 
Sure they are, but who do you think works at the IRS? CPAs and tax attorneys, and those are the people that are going to audit you and question your tax return. They are, but then that involves bringing the law to them, the Title 12 law, and say, can you show me where this doesn't apply? Yeah. Kelly, of course, I'm sure you've seen videos, you know, there are documentaries about how Income tax is illegal. It's unconstitutional. You know about this, right? Those are flawed statements. Okay. Income tax is not unconstitutional. And the reason it's not unconstitutional is because we have a choice whether or not to use those Federal Reserve notes. If we were forced to use Federal Reserve notes and pay the taxes that come with them, then the taxation would be unconstitutional. But because we have the choice, yet we are not taught that we are ha- that we have that choice, people get mad and all blustery and upset. Well, it's unconstitutional. No, it's not unconstitutional. Because all, cost- all, all those libertarian folks that produce those videos have probably ended up in big trouble. Yes, they have. Yeah. You know, I mean, they Peter have. Schiff's father... Irwin yes. Schiff, who Irwin I believe Schiff. recently he passed died away. In jail. Yeah, he was a tax protester and, you know, yes. ruined his life to protesting yes. tax. He didn't understand that component. It is not correct to say that taxes are unconstitutional. That's a flawed statement. It's a dead end argument and it gets you nowhere but jail. Okay. And let's go back to the CPA uh, discussion. Is the CPA filing your return for you? Are you doing it yourself? I do it myself. Uh huh. Do you have a complicated return with investment properties and other assets and things? Or Well, okay, because I redeem my income, I don't need to track and figure out and look for every deduction that I can find to lower my tax liability. I yeah, found it right. easy, you, you lowered by 100%. Yeah. to do it. Yeah. So my tax returns have become very simple. The first year that someone does this, it's a combination of the traditional way of filing taxes and this new way. So if someone starts with me, say, in mid-year, July, for example, this process is from that point going forward. It is not retroactive. Sure. It's just a percentage, like in the example I gave, if you made the 100000 and you took 20000 and let it be Federal Reserve notes, a.k.a. dollars, you'd pay tax on the twenty, and the eighty would be redeemed for U.S. notes, and that's not taxable, according to you. Right. Right? Okay. Right. right. But, you know, very few people are going to be willing to do this and take the chance without getting the blessing of a CPA who's going to stick their name on that return. I mean, you do realize that, right? I mean, I, I don't think I'd do it. Of course. Well, there is so much conditioning, you know, through the education system, through the media, through the politicians, through school, every, everything. And so, yes, there is enormous amount of that to allow to shed. And some people have personality types where they're just more willing to go down this road. But if I was going to do this, I want to get ideally a big accounting firm to stick their name on my return and bless it, okay? I understand, (laughs) I understand. I'd at least want a CPA, even if it's a solo CPA, to do it. Uh, I wouldn't want to be filing my own tax return. It just seems reckless to me. Okay, so you haven't been audited. That's awesome. You haven't received a letter 
from the IRS, you know, why aren't you making money? You should declare this income. Uh, Nothing? Nothing. Let me tell you something else that I omitted. In my progression of coming to this method, I learned some other method that was ultimately flawed. I received a $50,000 refund from IRS that was not based on money I paid in. It was based on my banking activity. You mean you got a refund from them or you had to pay them 50000 Sounds like you should be saying you had to pay them. I received a refund. Oh, okay. And a few months, some months later, they sent me a letter and they said that refund should not have been issued. We need the money back, blah, blah, blah. So I got into some hot water with IRS doing some other method that had some merit to it, but ultimately was flawed. But you got $50,000. Why do you say you got into some trouble? It sounds like you benefited. Well, I benefited for a window of time. And then they challenged me on it. And they said, we need the money back. It should not have been issued. It was you weren't entitled to that refund. Okay. And they so they gave correct. you they gave you 50,000 as a refund, like on a normal tax procedure, right? You just got a normal refund without debating. I got a normal refund, but it was not a normal tax return. Right. And then you ultimately, they said, no, you got to give us that refund back. Yes. Okay. So I got into hot water with IRS, you know, and paying that back and sorting it all out and so forth. And it was part of my learning curve. Okay. All right. What, What year was that? That was filing 2008. Oh, okay. So, so there was quite a bit of, there were several years between that year where you yes. had this lesson and then starting again in 2014 with this new tactic. So how long have you lived in Nevada? Since 2006. Did you live in a state with income taxes before that? I lived in California. Yes. Well, you you have my path. I, I lived in the Socialist Republic of California, then Nevada. So now I live in Florida, another no-income tax state. I very intentionally want to live in a no-income tax state. But, you know, it would be interesting to see if the Franchise Tax Board would, and I'm going to say it, fall for this. (laughs) Because, you know, I would argue, and some would probably agree with me, that the Franchise Tax Board in California is more vicious than the IRS because they're more broke. Okay, yeah. Yes, the state is mismanaged so grossly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yes. It'd be interesting to see if you could pull it past the FTB in California. I think they would almost be more difficult than the IRS. (laughs) They would. I agree with you. I agree. Do you know anyone in California who's doing it? I mean, you got these people in Colorado. Colorado has state income taxes. Yes. I do have uh, one person I'm working with in California, and he elected to just do it for his federal return only. For his first year. That's just weird. Because if you get audited and you paid the state, but you right. didn't pay the feds, it seems like the feds would have a really easy case to say, look, you got to pay us too. Just my logic. Mm-hmm. But I Well, know. I mean, the law is the law. And there's a, um, a Supreme Court case site, uh, Maryland versus McCulloch, that mm-hmm. says that the states are not allowed to tax the constitutional money of the country which is why this applies to state income as well as federal income. Interesting. What year was that Supreme Court case? That was back in the 1800s. I would have to oh, look it's up. It's a really old it's one. A it's a really old the, one. It's before the Federal Reserve even existed. It's, yes. Yeah. Okay, so Maryland versus McCulloch? McCulloch, yes. McCulloch. M-C-C-O-L-L-O-U-G-H. And so you, you cite this as one of the decisions that defends what you're doing, right? Yes. Okay. Oh, very interesting. Is there anything else you want people to know? Wrap it up for us, Kelly. 
basically, if you want to learn more, I just recommend that you go to my landing page at mytaxremedy.com. And I have a free download that explains this. That's you know easy to read. It's 12 pages, and it's a way to contact me if you want to receive a consultation for your unique situation. If you want to learn more, you know, just taking that one step down the, down this path to find out if it suits you, feels right, whatever. Okay. Hey, thanks for joining us, Kelly. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.